First Thessalonians, uh, a letter from Paul. He says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you may become an example, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Amen. Now, a, a few things, I guess. Uh, it was a long passage, but I thought um, uh, I'd, I'd pull out um, uh, um, verse 4 and 5 um, from what we read, uh, which says this, that for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Um, it says here that the word of God comes with power and conviction because, well, the Bible is 
written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what, what does it exactly mean that the word of God comes with power? Well, Paul here, he explains when we look at it in verse 9, what happened to these people in Thessalonians when the word of God came to them. It says on verse 9 that they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God. Isn't that amazing? So there's these people who were worshipping idols, doing idolatry, so to speak. And then when the word of God came to them, it came with power. And through that, they were able, able to know and serve the true and living God. And now they wait for his son, verse 10, it says, that they wait for his son who will... Um, come again who delivered us from the wrath to come Um, if you can just turn to the person next to you and answer this question what is the normal Christian experience right here right now in the world today what is the normal Christian experience just share one or two things with the person next to you I'll give you five minutes Okay, hold on to some of those answers. Um, We'll be answering that question in our time this evening. What is the normal Christian experience? If you're a Christian here today, what would a normal Christian experience be like? And is it your experience? Um, We've not long finished our Bible overview as a church, uh, where we took seven big stages through the story of God bringing his kingdom and revealing it, And fulfilling it in Jesus. And it's shown where we are in between two of the last stages. The stage, uh, the sixth stage where Jesus came and his kingdom was revealed. And the last, which will be when Jesus' kingdom is fulfilled, comes in all its fullness. And we're in between. Uh, So we're kind of doing this um, series. Uh, Sam started us off last week. But at that point it didn't have a, a series name. Um, that's come about since, uh, but uh, the series name is Inbetweeners, okay? What's it like to live as Inbetweeners? And by Inbetweeners, we mean in between Jesus' first coming and his coming again. What is the Christian experience? What is the normal Christian experience? We thought it would be good to do that because if we just take the Bible overview as just information and we don't have application, we don't actually let it sit in terms of what it means for us now then we're not really learning from the Bible at all. We're learning about the Bible, but we're not learning from it. We're not letting God speak to us. Um, So uh, what does it mean for you and I, if you're Christians here today? What does it mean for you if you're not a Christian here today? And this is sort of um, grounding it in in our lives, okay? The in-betweeners. All of this, uh, in terms of Jesus' kingdom that is coming, that we heard about two weeks ago, in those last two chapters of the Bible, where you get this picture of, uh, through God's judgment, God, uh, God's righteous judgment, everything is made perfect. Some are judged, yes, but God's people live with him in perfect relationship with one another and perfect relationship with him. And that's really important for knowing what life will be like now. But what does it mean for us to live before that comes in all its fullness? Before that day? We know what is soon coming, don't we? And yet, that day hasn't come yet. 
What's it going to feel like? Um, last week we heard uh, Sam taking us through the start of 1 Peter. Um, we heard of the great mercy God has shown to every believer, that's true, and of, the, and of the trials and suffering they face. So both are true of the Christian. God's great mercy towards them, their living hope that we sang about, their inheritance which is kept in heaven for them and we are kept for, and yet also of the trials and suffering that they face. And this week we're looking at another part of the Bible, which is 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to read uh, just over in Acts chapter 17. So if you want to turn to that, um, of how this church came about. We're just going to read verses 1 to 9 of Acts chapter 17. Now when they, this is Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. And when uh, when they heard these things... And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Nine verses, <laughs> ten if you include the disappearance. Um, nine verses that describe a very short amount of time that they spend in Thessalonica. And it's with this new group of believers. They heard the gospel, they believed. And they're only there for three Sabbaths. And then there was intense persecution, and they had to leave. So it was a successful visit. Many people became Christians. Many people believed their message. But it was a brief visit. It was cut short. And Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, is writing to this church. So we get a flavor, don't we? If Paul and his team were under great pressure to leave, we can kind of guess what the atmosphere would be like for the Christians who who live there, for the new Christians. And Paul is writing to encourage them, much in the same way as Peter writes his letter, 1 Peter. He's writing to encourage them in the midst of great pressure. He wants to help them to see that what they, experience, what they are experiencing is normal for Christians. For all believers... And if you look down with me, if we hop back over to 1 Thessalonians. He says in uh, 3 verse 3, if you can find that, it just kind of straddles the two pages, doesn't it? But, um, or just over the page in 987. This is what Paul wants for them. He says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. 
So Paul is writing and encouraging them. And he's even sent Timothy to them so that no one would be moved from their faith in Jesus by these afflictions. And so we're asking that question, what is the normal Christian experience? Well, if Paul was here and his answer in this, here in this letter would be two things. It would be that God's word is at work in them and has been from the moment that they heard the message and believed. But also that the world is working against them. There's two things to their experience. God's word is working in them and the world is working against them. And we're going to see that from um, chapter 2 verses 13 to 16. And it will come up on the screen so if you want to look there you can. But listen out for those two things. The word, a work in them, and the world, a work against them. And let's have a listen. Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became... Imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. And let's first look at the word at work in them. That's what Paul has been saying from the start of the letter. Um, Kenny mentioned some of the verses earlier on in chapter 1, that they received the message and it came with power, not just mere words. With conviction, the Holy Spirit convicted them of their sins, that they needed to do away with the idols they were trusting in and turn to the living God, who alone is God. And that God's word has continued to work in their lives, continued to brought about change, bring about change. The first result of, their, of Paul's ministry among them was that they believed. And they believed that the word that was given was not just of human origin, but was God's word. And that word is now at work in them. Their lives are different. We're going to see more of that as we get into chapters 4 and 5 next week, but the difference of their lives. God's word, they were submitting to it, accepting it, acknowledging it as his word in a way that they hadn't done before. That's the first sign, that's the first bit of the Christian experience, isn't it? Every Christian will be experiencing that. And if you look at people, you will see that in them, that there is something that is changing about them according to God's word. They're not just sitting in church and hearing God's word. Anyone can do that. But the spirit has brought about a new life that means that they want to live it. Not just that their uh, mind has been informed, but their, their will, their desire has been turned, pulled to, to serve God, to love him, to want to live for him. And that's something that we can't do. God has to do in us. But Paul celebrates the fact. He says we thank God that this has happened. Because only God could have done this. So that's the first thing. The word at work in them in verse 13. 
But there's also the world at work against them. And this is the, one of the main reasons why Paul is writing. If we remember that verse, we, didn't want, we don't want anyone of you to be moved by your affliction. Paul is writing because they are under great pressure. Paul and Silas had to leave in the middle of the night because of the pressure that was on them. And they left behind these baby Christians. And they are desperately like, wanting to know that they're going to be okay. And he's writing, you sort of hear the compassion, the love, the, the tenderness, the concern that he has for them. I mean, how he speaks of them. Uh, but let's read uh, verses 14 to 16. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. What are they experiencing? The same things from their countrymen as the other churches in Judea and Judea has experienced. And not just that, but the same uh, pressure that Paul himself was under, and the same uh, attack that the Lord Jesus himself had. They rejected him. And they were experiencing the same kind of rejection. So the experience of the Christian in between today is no different. What we are to expect, in some measure, pretty much all the time in the Christian life, is that as the word goes to work in us, the world will come against us. They won't want us to serve Jesus. They won't want us to live for him. Because they, they are standing against him <laughs> in their current state. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready. And Paul is writing to encourage, to shore them up, to say, what you're experiencing here is exactly what Christians, what I told you to experience. Let's have a look at that. Um, If you look down with me in verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter attempted you. And our labour would, would be in vain. We kept telling you. We kept telling you. In the short amount of time they had in Thessalonica. They said, we kept telling you that we are to experience hardship and affliction. And expressly so because people will persecute you. And so, as Christians, we need to know that this will be our experience. In some measure. And it will be the experience of the other people sitting in this church. To some measure. And we're going to sort of think about what that means for us. As in, what, what is our part in church life? What is our part in our relationships with our brothers and sisters? In light of that, why do we need each other? Why has God put us together? 
Because we could just do the Christian life, or we could think we could do the Christian life on our own, couldn't we? And yet God knows more than us. And he knows what we're going to face before we face it. And so it's his wonderful wisdom to put us in the church family and to have each other to help, to encourage, to pray for one another. And we're going to start to see that as we go through. I think it's important to get this because if you if, just, just take the way we use the word discipleship. What do we usually mean when we talk about discipleship in church? Come on, shout some things out. Sorry? Meeting up one-to-one, yeah? And doing what? Praying. Praying, yeah, praying. And what? Reading the Bible, okay. So, so we, we got that word discipleship, and we've said that that means reading the Bible. And I'm not knocking that. <laughs> that is discipleship. But there's an, a flip side to discipleship that goes with it. And, and Paul says here that being a disciple is not just uh, learning Jesus, but living the walk that Jesus walked and facing the same rejection that Jesus did. So we need to have a, an understanding of being a disciple of Jesus that incorporates them both. Because otherwise we'll be one-sided. <laughs> I think we do our Bible studies, that's discipleship. No, no, living in the world and facing some of the rejection that Jesus faced for being a Christian, for being associated with the one who was rejected, that is discipleship. You see? Um. None of the early disciples could be unclear that this is what was, it meant to be a disciple. After all, Jesus had told them that based on his identity as the Messiah, the Christ, and his mission to suffer and die, that whoever would follow him should deny himself and take up his cross. He says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Be associated with me in my sufferings and rejection and you know what's going to happen people will reject you too yes there is much gain in eternity with Christ and that you just look forward to that don't you day by day but there is much to lose in this life and Jesus doesn't promise that we won't lose it all for him for the sake of the gospel. And Jesus doesn't hide that as sort of like the, the small print and say, um, come follow me. And by the way, there's going to be hardships. No, he puts it up front. He says, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And so what it will mean, what is normal for the Christian experience, for disciples of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, is to be rejected just as he was rejected. Because they are associated with him. If Paul was here, he'd be saying to us that learning to walk as a disciple of Jesus is learning to face rejection. And he doesn't want these baby Christians to think otherwise. To be confused or surprised. Or to be caught off balance by what they're going to face. He wants them to know. He's told them. This is the things I told you when I was with you. I'm reminding you of them now. I'm even sharing my own afflictions with you, as he does in chapter 2. To say, before, um, uh, in verse 2, verse 2, but though we had been already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. 
So what's he doing there? He's laying down the groundwork and saying, this is happened to me. <laughs> right before I came and shared the gospel with you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen in some shape or form. And we should see this as the normal Christian experience. If we happen to be, and I think this is right, that in a time, certain age, and a certain region of the world where the persecution is not threatening to Christians, we should see this as atypical, as unusual. Because if you look down the ages, and if you look around the world, even today, it's not the same. It's this. If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So to return to our opening question, what is the normal Christian life? What is the normal Christian experience this side of the return of Jesus? Well, the word is doing its work in our lives, making us more like Jesus. Changing us to be more like him, to live like him, to be compassionate to those in need, to to want to share the hope of the gospel with them. To be bold in the spirit to share that with them. And with that will come persecution. And maybe you haven't faced it yet. Maybe because we're living in this unusual time, this atypical time, you haven't really faced it yet. But I wouldn't want it to creep up on you. And nor would Paul. He wouldn't want you to get caught off guard or to be... um, moved by that affliction when it came so I think oh what's this you know it is what Jesus anticipates and what he tells us expressly will happen and what Paul says will happen too for Paul knowing the times he's in that he's living as an in-betweener well what does it result in this is wonderful isn't it it results in a genuine concern for the faith of others He's writing because he does not want them to be moved. That he, He's desperate to find out how they are. If he can't make it, he's going to send Timothy. There's an earnestness. There's, a real, there's no half-heartedness here. He, he loves them. As a, I've got the pictures. As a, as a mum nursing his child, her child. As a father who's gently encouraging and correcting and, and wanting to instruct his child. You don't get any more like, warm and, and affection than that. So living in these times makes Paul deeply concerned for the faith of others such that he will act and he will speak to them. And I think, you know, we could take this as a model for pastors, for elders in a church, and I think that would be right. But I think it's more than that. I think it's a model for all Christians to follow. That as we're living in these in-between times, what should our concern be? It should be for the faith of others. Not just for our faith to be strong and to continue, but for the faith of others. And this was what I found particularly challenging. Because if I'm honest with you, being a pastor doesn't make you automatically concerned about your faith. Usually I'm just thinking about me and my faith and whether I'm reading my Bible and all of this kind of stuff. But um, Paul is deeply concerned for the faith of others and to encourage them so that they are not moved by the persecution that they will be facing, if not now, soon. And the real challenge for me is that this is 
someone who has correctly interpreted the times he's in. He knows he's in between. He's no, he knows what's coming. Jesus is coming back. And yet his activity, what he's spending his time and his energy doing is encouraging his fellow brothers and sisters so that they need not be moved by the persecution that they're going to face. Maybe you're a new Christian or you're someone who thinks they're a Christian because you're you're involved in churches. How do you respond to hearing that you need your brothers and sisters to do this for you? Because I know we can be proud, can't we? We can think, actually, the Christian life is just me and God, my relationship with him. That's all there is to it. Maybe you haven't been involved in church all that much because you've basically been operating like that. And it is interesting that Jesus isn't saying that. How are you going to respond to Jesus disagreeing with you? Are you going to submit to what he says about the Christian life? Or are you going to carry on in your disobedience? Because you need others to encourage you. And you, you're, what God has saved you for is relationship with him and relationship with his people. And maybe you've let that slide. You think, I'll do, I'll do my relationship with Jesus. But the people sitting next to me, what was it? Was their name Jim or Jerry or Joan? I can't quite remember. And, and did they have four kids or did they have one? Or maybe they don't have any kids at all. Is it your first time at church? No, I've been coming for, for years. We laugh, don't we? But it is about relationship with one another. And Jesus says, that is the way in which you will be encouraged when persecution comes. Because you'll hear of so-and-so who's already been facing those difficulties at work. That pressure to wear that lanyard or that, you know, all of the PC stuff. You know, all of this kind of thing. And you'll be encouraged because you'll think, I was praying for them last week. That in their situation, the persecution that they might be facing. And I have more confidence and encouragement to stand firm as a result. And if you're a Christian, Paul's model here is no doubt relevant to all those who would serve in the church, what ministry is, serving each other. And actually knowing the times we're in, that there will be persecution and that Jesus is coming soon, will result in a concern for not just your faith, but for the faith of others. And let me leave you with that challenge. Take it away, have a think about it. What is my concern currently for the faith of others? If I'm honest, is it, is, it, is it pretty minimal? You wouldn't be abnormal in that. But Paul's concern was for the faith of others. And he writes to them because he doesn't want them to be moved by the persecution that they're going to be facing. And he longs to be with them with a heartfelt affection for them. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are the king, that you have revealed your kingdom through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the risen king, the returning king. Thank you that he's the king who would go to great lengths to save his people.
out of love for them. And Lord, we, we acknowledge that we're often lacking affection or concern for, for one another. We're often concerned with just our personal walk with you, our private walk with you. And we miss out on the opportunities to really draw encouragement from one another and to encourage each other to, uh, in the persecution that we will be facing, if not now, soon. We pray that you'd help us to, to, to submit to you, to, to learn to walk with you, to follow Christ, being willing to suffer, and yet being willing to serve others and to pray for them. We pray that um, in the difficulties we will no doubt face soon as Christians in this country, we pray that you would be strengthening us for those days so that we would be a bold witness for you, even if it means persecution. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I thought it would be good for us to chat to the person next to us again, if that's okay. Um, why don't you share with someone next to you uh, what you think you're most likely to fear if you are a Christian, what you are most likely to fear about persecution. For example, is it, is it really what people think of you or is it losing your job or is it, what, what is it that you fear most about that persecution? Um, try, and sh- try and put that into words and share that with the person next to you and then pray for that person um, so that you can encourage them. Let's pray.